Good afternoon, folks. This is uh, Greg Silberman for another riveting, ex- uh, riveting episode of CIOs and Bowties. We're coming to you, uh, we're recording this on the uh, 4th of November, the day after uh, the general election, and uh, really exciting just watching all the results come in. Obviously, it's been a, uh, the, the winner, I would say, hands down, uh, Marshall, is uh, cannabis. Uh, they've been the uh, the winner on all ballots, from from what I can see. But anyway, uh, let's let's not push the cart before the horse, as it were. Uh, Greg Silverman, CIOs and bow ties. My guest today is a, a gentleman by the name of Marshall Miner. Uh, Marshall has over 20 years' experience in finance and accounting. He spent the last few years as a CFO in the cannabis space. Most recently for the Shrine Group, uh, parent company to Steezy, and you'll tell us all about Steezy and Ether, Ether Gardens in Las Vegas. That should be interesting to discuss as well, Marshall. Marshall uh, has held senior finance roles at MGM Resorts in, in Las Vegas, a real estate development company in Park City, Utah. He started off his career as an investment banker for uh, Solomon Smith Barney in New York and graduated from Virginia Tech. So, uh, Marshall, welcome aboard to CIOs and Bowties. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Greg. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, lovely. Uh, you're out in Newport, right? The uh, gorgeous Newport yeah. Beach. Yes, I'm out in Orange County. Yes. All right. Well, if you can take your take your view off the off the uh, off the ocean for a second, and we can speak a little bit about cannabis. Um, so I went through your bio uh, fairly quickly, but can you tell us in your own words how you found your way into the uh, uh, let's say interesting space of uh, cannabis? Sure. I mean, I spent a majority of my career uh, working in regulated markets, uh, both uh, as an investment banker. So obviously, you know, regulated from the SEC, FINRA, uh, et cetera, and then spent a big part of my career at, uh, in the gaming industry. Uh, Gaming is, is, is heavily um, compliance oriented, et cetera. And so spending, spending time in those industries kind of gave, me the, I would say the tools uh, as uh, Nevada specifically opened up to recreational cannabis. Uh, so as uh, rec was becoming legal in Nevada a few years ago, a lot of the um, license winners, holders were looking for uh, people that worked in uh, kind of very high, heavily compliant industries. So kind of fair, com- prepared me to kind of uh, enter the foray of cannabis. And cannabis as an industry is, you know, I think like no other in the history of other industries where, you know, high growth potential, we don't know the market size, uh, we just know it's going to be billions of billions of dollars as we more and more states legalize, if and when it becomes legalized in the federal level, and also, you know, eventually, you know, international opportunities as well. Right. Indeed. So give us the, the timeline, if you will, Marshall. You're, uh, you're at MGM Resorts in, in, in Las Vegas. Um, I guess that was the hopping off point. And so uh, when was that? And I guess when did you start you know, seeing the, this, this evolution in the cannabis space? And, and when did you kind of make that, that leap over into the business? Yeah, so I, I started in the gaming industry back in uh, 2005 with MGM, uh, kind of in the heyday of Las Vegas, uh, right before kind of the downturn, uh, the, the recession back in uh, 
2007, 2008, 2009. So spent yeah. a fair amount, a big part of my career in Las Vegas, kind of in the kind of buildup of Las Vegas during kind of the recession and then kind of the beginning part of the recovery. Um, I transitioned from MGM and went to go work for a real estate developer in Park City. Um, did some real estate development there, helped kind of sell a big project. And then from there, um, was looking at unique opportunities uh, within kind of the Nevada area and, and had a bunch of headhunters contact me over the years as, um, you know, legalization was happening uh, on the West Coast at, you know, kind of different um, different states, you know, Colorado, Nevada, uh, California. And I thought, hey, you know, this is an industry that is gaining momentum. Um, you know, why not? And then kind of jumped in the foray of cannabis in uh, late 2017. So. Okay, 2017, right. So that gives us some context because we went, we just gone through our latest boom-bust cycle, I would say. So, so speaking of which, tell us a little bit about Steezy and and your role there, and then we'll we'll transition into the uh, the meat of the discussion. Sure. So, uh, Steezy was founded a few years ago by a few gentlemen. Uh, Steezy is a, is a vape brand that's based in Southern California. Um, they uh, merged with another uh, company, uh, essentially that had some licenses on the retail and cultivation and di distribution, and basically that merger created the Shrine Group. Um, back in uh, 20, early 2019, uh, I came on to become the CFO of the Shrine Group. And essentially the goal of the Shrine Group is to basically build the company from an established brand, Steezy, um, into basically a vertically integrated company that one, dominated California, and then two, grew the Steezy brand and its um, other, other kind of uh, sister brands into other markets. Uh, so... You know, that, that was kind of the creation of, of Steezy into Shrine and how they're growing now as kind of one of the dominant players in the cannabis space. Hmm. Okay. All right. Again, I'm just trying to paint context around where the business has gone and, and where it's going to. So, you know, as you, you're well aware, I think there were five states on the ballots uh, for legalization. And I, I'm certainly aware that New Jersey, Montana, I think Arizona, South Dakota all legalized, I believe it's recreational, uh, and I think Mississippi did some form of, of medicinal. Now, as I said before, we've gone through this recent boom-bust cycle in cannabis, and you know we had a catbird seat uh, in that, unfortunately. Um, but a lot of these companies uh, grew pretty rapidly, uh, and then maybe from about two, you know early, late 2017, 2018, I think too much capital entered the space, and we've definitely seen kind of a washout in the business. So I'm, I'm just curious, you know, with all these new states coming on board, um, what have you seen as far as governance of cannabis businesses and, and kind of the, the uh, institutionalization, professionalization of these businesses? Uh, what have you seen over the years as far as that's concerned? I mean, I think, you know, we've gone through a cycle of, um, you know, we see that the, the dollars are, you know, extremely large. If you take a, a market such as California, um, you know, the, the dollars, are, dollars are huge. Also, obviously, it's going to attract institutional capital. Uh, and then also, you know, this happened in Canada as well. Uh, unfortunately, there was a lot of dumb money. Um, you had, um, mm -hmm. you know, very, 
let's say very smart uh, financial institutions that would back, I would say, entrepreneurs that were maybe great cannabis growers, but weren't great business people. Um, and I think that's what a lot of the kind of disconnect uh, was when it came to kind of, you know, the pullback in the investments and kind of the downturn in the uh, uh, kind of markets um, in last year and when it comes to the cannabis industry. Uh, so, so I think we've kind of, uh, we've kind of, I think we've kind of corrected that. And I think the investors now are being a lot more prudent in the kind of mm-hmm. uh, capital that they're deploying. Uh, you know, it wasn't, it's before it was just, we see a, a state that's that's being legalized. Let's go buy a bunch of licenses. Let's go mm-hmm. find a couple of people that are kind of in the mix and kind of back them. And then, you know, we're, we'll make money. Um, and I think uh, with that, you know, they, you know, at the end of the day, you, you have to be, you know, prudent business people where you have to kind of watch the bottom line um, as you're kind of growing these businesses. Uh, a lot of these grows for example that they're building um you know they're, they're not being built properly you're having a lot of failures having a lot of cost overruns etc uh so i think where we're at now is you know as these states are legalized i think the capital that's coming into these markets i think will be a lot more diligent as they're you know vetting management teams vetting projects etc which i think it's it's an overall good for the industry because it's going to make you know the industry grow up you know in a certain way and i think it you know at some point that's the way we're going to get inst- you know true institutional backing of, of of companies and management teams and eventually when yeah. we become federal legalized you know that's how the the industry is going to be successful so. yeah yeah no i couldn't have said it better and and obviously and that is you know really the reason for having uh, a person of, of your stature on on a call like this is because i think uh, here to four, it's been a very much a focus of, you know, revenue, revenue, sales, 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 uh, and kind of let the finances take care of themselves. And perhaps we're starting to see the, uh, a slight re- reverse now where the, the CFO is given, you know, proper respect at the table as far as, uh, you know, controlled growth is concerned. So that's good. Um, uh, Marshall, let's, let's turn the conversation briefly before we take a break onto really what I wanted to discuss um, and that is, I guess, what's known uh, in the Internal Revenue uh, Code as Section 280E. And uh, I'm, I'm not even going to lay it up. Maybe you can explain to our listeners what 280E is and how that affects the cannabis business. So just in a nutshell, in layman's terms, 280E is where, from a federal tax, um, U.S. tax perspective, of what essentially what we can write off uh, as far as business expenses when it comes to the cannabis operations. If you are a traditional non-cannabis business, you know, a distribution company, a retail, a store or pharmacy, et cetera, um, you know, when you do your kind of tax returns, you know, basically you have your revenue, subtract out your cost of goods sold, subtract out your rent, your marketing expenses, depreciation, interest expense, et cetera. You get your net income and essentially your, your taxes are essentially ta- calculated off of that. Unfortunately, uh, with 280E, um, anything that's beyond true cost of goods sold does not get um, essentially written off or kind of accredited uh, against your profit. So essentially what you're paying tax against is 
revenue minus cost of goods sold, your gross profit is what you're essentially getting taxed on, um, not net income. So things such as marketing expenses, um, interest expense, de depreciation, just the typical cost of doing business. Uh, cannabis companies don't get that benefit uh, as traditional non-cannabis businesses. So it essentially makes your, you know, um, effective tax rate, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60%, depending on, you know, the structure of your, of your business, which is, is very onerous and very expensive to, um, you know, these, this, the cannabis industry. Uh, people think of the green rush, you know, they think of the billions of dollars that the cannabis industry is making, but it's also, you know, we're paying just as, about, as much in taxes. Uh, so it can be very tricky when we're kind of navigating um, business decisions, financial decisions, because we don't have the ability to kind of write off these tax, write off these mm. um, oper traditional operating expenses and just paying a huge tax burden beyond, you know, the tax that we pay to the local authorities. Um, so just, you know, just ends up being very expensive to, um, to companies. Yeah, yeah, indeed. So um, in the next section, folks, please hang with us because I'm going to ask Marshall to explain to us how uh, he goes about structuring a business to, you know, to be the most tax efficient from 280E. But my understanding, Marshall, is that 280E uh, really exists to penalize businesses that are not federally legal. Is it, do I have that right? That's, that's the reason they are caught under 280E? Correct. So correct. So 280E was was specifically formed in the IRS tax code to um, basically uh, forbid businesses from deducting any expenses uh, based on trafficking Schedule One and Schedule Two controlled substances. Hence, if um, you know when cannabis gets federal legalized, it becomes descheduled, and therefore this 280E phenomenon essentially goes away, uh, which right. will make the industry a lot more healthy. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So stick with us for the next section. I think it's going to be really interesting uh, as you, as you think about your investments in the space. So uh, stay with us and we'll be right back with Marshall.